This week on the After Dark Podcast, we'll be talking about the real world, Logan's new addiction, and everyone's love of genocide. Come on, come on to the After Dark Podcast. The podcast in which Sheriff Anthony does his best to wrangle Conrad through Westworld, one doggone episode at a time. So kick back and grab yourself some Apple Jack, or some Adam's Ale if that's your preferred poison. And get ready for these two wannabe cowboys to ramble the night away. Music is provided by the fantastic Nancy White and Jared Iscariot. Enjoy the show! Hello, and welcome to the After Dark Podcast. I'm Anthony James, and that's Conrad. Hello! Well, Conrad, how are you? Uh, I'm very well. Uh, it is a hot time, a hot time summer in the city in um, <laughs> in in the fair south of England. Um, so I am boiling at the moment, and things are heating up in Westworld too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, well, guys, we are here to talk about Westworld episode two of season two. Of course, I just want to say before we get into the uh, the recap and then the then the the sort of discussion that. Um, Hopefully, you all like the changes we made. We we sort of we needed to streamline in some way, change it up. Um, it was becoming a little bit and then and then and then. I'm sure you understand. Also, uh, there was a question, Conrad, about your theory matrix. So we did have a conversation about that. How we're going to do that? I don't think it fits in this small sort of video, but um, maybe we could post it or something. We'll we'll figure it out. But the yeah. theory matrix, I don't think overall is dead. We're still we're still going to be doing theories with uh, with Conrad. Um, but we're just sort of trying to visualize how that's going to fit in the new landscape of the After Dark podcast. Yeah, I think we want to get like, I uh, the way the way I perceive it is that in each of our episodes of After Dark, there's a solid forty minutes of comedy gold, and then about half an hour of us just like talking about random stuff yeah. that isn't isn't necessarily that entertaining. So it's about getting the good stuff, keeping the good stuff, and getting rid of the chaff. Yeah, exactly. Like so, I think um, Venla said in the comments that we, we we hit on all the good points, and that's what we sort of want to do uh, with the recap. I'm trying to for people who aren't watching along. Like Helen in the comments said she wasn't watching along because she didn't have the the channel it was on, which is absolutely fine. That's why I want to do the recap still, uh, so everyone who hasn't seen it in a while will know what's going on. But also, it's so that we can uh, still have those great chats and discussions around the, uh, the 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 interesting parts of the episode. So anyway, that's the thing, guys. You know, you'll get used to it as well. Let's get into it, Conrad. What do you think? Let's do it. Right. So, despite her memories flooding back to her last season, it seems Dolores has some events in her past that we weren't aware of. I mean, nothing serious, just the fact that she's been to the outside world. Arnold shows her his pad and compares her to a child, which she doesn't seem to mind. Tuxedo Man makes it down to the lower levels, and then Dolores and the gang come in and kill a guy. She then dries Tuxedo Man's eyes and tells him that she's been to the outside world before. And again, I have to stress, this was definitely planned from the beginning. In the past timeline, Logan and Billy are, as always, the best of friends. Billy leaves Logan to it, and it seems to be liaising with representatives of Westworld, who are trying to secure funding from Delos. Logan was told it would be a private demonstration, and it was. So he then started to try and find the host among the crowd. Little did he know, it's just a prank, bro! And they were all hosts, and Logan's like, what, what, what? That's not possible, sir. Teddy has shown his dead self and goes berserk. Lawrence is back, hung up by the feet until he's saved by the man in black, as usual. The man in black asks him for help. Dolores tortures the guy. William wants to use the park for data collection. Dolores tries to recruit Maeve, but she only wants to save her daughter. 
Dolores kills the Confederados and raises them from the dead, a la the Night King. Logan's on drugs. Giancarlo Esposito makes an appearance, for a moment at least. This game was meant for William, but he must play it alone. William has an awkward moment with his ex, Dolores has an army now, and she wants to commit a genocide. Did I miss anything? Okay, Conrad, so... There's some big stuff happening in this episode. I, I wouldn't say this is a blockbuster of an episode, if I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I'm not going to go ahead of our final thoughts, but I didn't actually think this was that good of an episode, if I'm honest with you. Uh, no, that there were... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right in here and say uh, they are... Not so much the wheels are coming off some of their plot lines. I think they are actively pulling the wheels off of some of their plot lines mm-hmm. and throwing them into a fire. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> like, we'll get to that when we get to it. There's still good stuff in this episode. Don't get me wrong, it's not bad, but there's certainly some things that I want to discuss where it's a bit like, none of this makes sense, and I feel like you're compromising things you did in the first season. Yeah, no, exactly. That's sort of the point I wanted to make as well, is that now again, like Conrad and I are very positive people, believe it or not, and we we will find the, <laughs> we will still find the good in it, no matter what. But in the last episode, there was a couple of like retroactive uh, world building things that I didn't, I liked, I like, I liked the addition of them, but I didn't quite like that it did, it didn't sit right with me that the first season, which was such a perfect season of television for me, it was retroactively changed. Um, I didn't really like that, but mm. in this one, um, in my opinion, the uh, the fact that Dolores has been outside of the park before in any capacity, uh, considering how her memories were flooding back to her so much in the first, and that was such a theme of the first season, yeah. and not once did that flood to her, or did she remember that? Personally, and now she remembers it all, apparently, you know, and personally, I thought that was the biggest crime of that uh, of that retrospective change. I really didn't like the fact that Dolores, even the first time I saw this, I don't like that she has left the park before. Yeah, I, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I think this should have come up in the first season if it had happened and the fact it didn't it's what like it's a fine line it's a difficult balancing act if you want to broaden the scope of of your of your world and of the you know the experiences of your of your of your cast it's a tightrope to walk it's not always easy and i don't mind you know the milky brain nut stuff from the first episode you know whatever that's that there are being there being six parks when when charlotte's made it very clear that they need to get all the information out of this specific park um for some reason that stuff i can let slide this i was a bit like i feel like you're compromising this character a little bit um and i felt like they also try to conceal uh the fact they were doing this behind the fact that they clearly were not able to get anthony hopkins back to record voiceover for this episode um because they have ford talking off screen in the intro and it doesn't quite maybe i'm wrong maybe it's just a weird sounding anthony hopkins but it didn't sound quite right to me which makes me think they got like an impersonator to do this does he have a brother you know, like uh, Tom Hanks' brother does uh, yeah. <laughs> all of the voices of the Woody toys. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's a that's a, a job for life, right there. That's how you look after your family without just handing them money. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely hilarious. But okay, so th- that that sort of opening with Arnold, um, it was a, a little interesting to me. I I'm happy with the way that the relationship between Dolores and Arnold ended in the first season. I'm happy with what yeah. we were told about it. The fact that it culminated in in his death through her hands. It was all told. And now all of a sudden, we're seeing more of Arnold, and we're seeing mm. Arnold taking her to show, like, you know, his pad, his crib. I, I don't really... I, I don't really 
get what they're doing. Like, well, so I, I think that so the, there's there's one bit in this opening scene. I didn't love this opening scene, but there's one bit that I thought was quite good, which is where um, he talks about. Um, how Dolores and Charlie have quite a lot in common um, in that they're they're kind of the way they perceive the world and sort of questioning um, and uh, questioning the world around them and a kind of reverence for the world around them and I think that it works to kind of reinforce the innocence of Dolores's character at this point but I also think there is a there's a there is a kind of double intention there with um, what we know of like Bernard and Charlie, the memories of Charlie and Dolores as well, where maybe they're suggesting, obviously this isn't Bernard at this point, but they're suggesting that maybe uh, Dolores and Charlie are both not not real in different ways and it's about like uh, uh, it's asking the audience to consider what actually is real maybe mm-hmm. I'm reading too much into that but that was where my mind went when when I was uh, when I was watching this scene oh there was definitely yeah there was definitely a, yeah an aspect of that about what's real and what's not um also, Arnold did basically compare her with a child, like saying you're just yeah, a child, yeah, you know? a little bit patronizing, to be honest. Little, yeah, Arnold. a little, little, little bit patronizing. Let's be honest. Okay, so she's in the real world. We find out that she's in the real world because, well, actually, Arnold didn't want her to take part in this, but they're basically trying to get funding from Delos. Um, yeah. And they, so I'm going to be honest with you, Conrad. As much as you, we want to go uh, go off on this episode about the. Westworld staff chose the right guy to go after. Logan was the guy oh, to, to yeah. target with this, wasn't he? Yeah, he was wowed by it, and I, I think that's fair enough. I, I will also say as well, just before we dive into the Delo stuff, that we've now had uh, Ford uh, himself com- uh, compare their operation both to Oppenheimer, the, the guy who helped create the, the, the atom bomb, uh, mm. to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and now they're getting ready to present Dolores to a big crowd of like journalists and people like she's fucking King Kong. And I just feel like none of them have read these books that they're referencing or read about these people that they're referencing because it doesn't end well for any of them um but yes logan is absolutely the man to go after i will say for this for this logan introduction um this is the best scene in the episode i think uh i i I really really like um the, the 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 kind of dramatic irony of you knowing that probably everyone in this room is a host yeah. like but, uh, and and seeing logan be his usual kind of slimy but quite charismatic self and kind of going through the stages of of realizing this um and obviously you know we see angela who I, has she been named up until this point I'm not sure if she has. I'm not sure. I call her Tulula because that's the actress's name. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, but we, we get a name for her. We get Mr. Delos, uh, who uh, is played by a guy <laughs> from um, uh, Doctor Sleep, who <laughs> I was very I was very pleased to Isn't see. Isn't he one of those uh, like Ari Kara or whatever they call them, the, uh, the Native American tribe? I think, I think he might be. Yeah. Um, um, yes. So uh, uh, nice to nice to see like a, a native a native actor in this. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a, this is a great scene, and it, it's really fun following Logan around as he kind of realizes that he is surrounded by hosts and and isn't as smart as he thinks he is. Yeah, I love. It. He's just like looking around. They're all too human, you know. He says he's yeah. like he's he's su- su- you know hook hook line sinker. This fella. Yeah, um, yeah I, I thought that was really interesting. I think that um, when I first like uh, watched this, I didn't fully pick up straight away that this was before. Obviously, once they start trying to sell um, the host to them, it's obvious. Mm. But whenever William, whenever every time I see uh, Logan and William now, I can't help but immediately think of him like slapping the ass of the horse and well, sending Logan off into the wilderness. Yeah, I've you know? got some thoughts about that because there's a point in this episode where presumably 
it takes place after that yeah. has happened, mm-hmm. and it makes no goddamn sense. Uh, so, it, I, yeah. What do you mean? Like he should be dead? Not even just that he should be dead. Just that their relationship should be completely irreparably gone. damaged, and William should be in prison. Like, <laughs> like it, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, and it's yeah. Well, when we get to that, I've got a whole bit on it. I've got a whole bit prepared. So, <laughs> so we'll we'll get to that when we get to it. <laughs> well, okay, okay. So, um, all right. So we we get introduced to a new character actually. Um. And I'd sort of want, maybe this will lead into that nicely in a minute or two. But we get introduced to Jim. Oh, Jim. Jim. We Dallas. said, listen, I'm not going to say the word. Don't worry. If you've got children in the room, don't worry. I'm not going to repeat it. But I always have a big soft spot for a character who drops a C bomb in literally the first scene they're in <laughs> in a <laughs> in a TV show. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I was there any C bombs in the first season? Actually, That's I don't really think so. There might have there might have been one. I think HBO yeah. can get away with maybe one a season. Like they have to write to the to the censors and be like, "Look, we're gonna get this guy. This guy is gonna call this character the c word, and it's gonna be great. You just gotta let us. You gotta trust us on this one." Yeah. And um and you know they they shot their bolt early this season where they're like, <laughs> "We gotta get Scottish Jim in there calling William a sea bomb." Were you expecting the head of Dallas to be Scottish? No. Not in the slightest. <laughs> it was a great choice. So this, this guy, he's got a great, he's got a great voice. I've got, I'm immediately a fan of this character, and it's a shame that, um, as we find out later, when he coughs while talking to William in the immutable laws of film and uh, television, that means he's dying. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't expect him to stick around very long. Yeah, and I, I like as well. Like, there was there was actually some weird tension between him and William because it really seems that he's chosen William as his successor over Logan, which is what William yes. wanted. Um, but there's real a strange tension in there that he sort of knows it, but he doesn't want to give up on it yet. So there's yeah. um, there's a moment whenever he coughs and that he says like you know uh, you know obviously we'll be optimistic or whatever. And William was like, well, we've got to be realistic, you know. And yeah. Like, you know, William's <laughs> yeah. almost saying to this guy, well, when you die, like you know, you yeah. should die. Uh, um, which I thought is an interesting uh, thing for Logan to do, uh, William to do. Obviously, he's completely changed now. We know he's the man in black. Yes. Yeah. He he has. Um... It's. I think it's. I don't know whether it's deliberate. It is confusing in this episode. The fact that they jump between um, Logan doing the initial meeting with Mister mm-hmm. Delo, some William being there, but still being the kind of middle management guy who is like, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm not really into glad handing. I'm going to leave you alone to do this, and then jump forward a little bit to after the events of the first season. Um, I thought mm-hmm. it was odd that they even showed William in that initial scene. To be honest, because it seemed really unnecessary. Yeah, it did. It did to me as well. I, I, okay. I had a little thought about that as well. Like the timeline shifts in this, I, I followed it very well. I like. I didn't. I didn't have a, a problem following it. However, I, I feel that even like they're using we like in the first season, they they seamlessly cut between different timelines without letting us know because they wanted it to be a reveal. Yeah. Whereas in this one, they're still doing that, even though we know it's different timelines. Yeah. And therefore, it's... it has the potential to add in. Conf- like confusing elements there yeah yeah i mean like for me it just made the chronology a bit confusing like i kind of got uh, the, the the scene where um i realized that the 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 bulk of the logan william jim stuff was happening after they'd come back from the park um was was particular that it was, it was about two thirds away through the episode to be honest and it was it was um particularly confusing to me because i was like wait hold on like 
why is Logan and and Williams' relationship so different now? Uh, so yeah, I just it just it just felt like confusing um, editing to me, and an, an unnecessary unnecessary inclusion of Williams' character early on that could have just been removed, yeah. and nothing would have been lost. Yeah, and there's a really weird uh, aspect to William as well in this, where he's sort of keeping Dolores around every now and then, and yes. like sort of she's there from afar. And we have this moment as well at the end where he he basically gets to do what everyone has ever wanted to do with someone who's wronged them, and just like sit them down and just tell them what they've done to fuck up their life, you know. So yeah. he gets to do it with Dolores, but uh, and she's sitting there naked, which is again creepy as hell. Like, yep, it's interesting because even I still actually don't hate Men in Black. But now we're seeing the guy in between William from the first season and Man in Black, and I really don't like him. Well, I think I, I think they do the Man in Black quite dirty in this episode, to be honest. Um, I, I think, I mean, we could probably talk about it now, to be honest. I, I don't know where his, the, the, the actual Man in Black, the older Williams plotline, I don't know where that's going this season. I think there's a, there's a worry for me that in going to find Lawrence again and... Mm-hmm talking in kind of riddles about this storyline that's meant for him my fear is that it just kind of feels like they're retreading old ground that they've already gone over in the first season like he's going to kind of just mosey his way on through this season occasionally killing people or doing things that are violent and meeting these shady characters and arrive at a revelation at the end of the plot um, or at the end of the the kind of main story arc which and and kind of act as an audience analogue which I don't hate, but at the same time, he did that in the first season. I kind of need to see more for, from him, or I need to see a different character doing this, because we've seen a lot of the Man in Black. But as well as yeah. that, I I also think that the Man in Black has been driven by this desire to free the hosts, and I think by the end of the first season, I was really I was I, I bought into it because William is so egocentric and and self-centered that he can convince himself that what he's doing is altruistic when in fact it's actually very very selfish um if, mm-hmm. specifically when it comes to Dolores he wants to free her uh because of how she makes him feel of what, what of what she means to him as a person and i could totally buy the transition from william as we saw him at the end of the first season to where the man in black is in that first season but with the kind of sitting down mocking her kind of treating her really petulantly in this Mm. i i doesn't that doesn't feel like the man in black to me that doesn't doesn't feel consistent with how he ends up um i don't know but like do you feel do you feel like it still kind of rings true to you to that character no see that's that's the almost the point i was making is that this william in the middle i don't really i don't feel anything towards him like i felt for the original william or man in black now I think like Man in Black does make sly remarks, you know, and he does, he does yeah. do stuff like that. But we've seen for the most part he doesn't he, he doesn't actively really that often seek out Dolores when he's older. Like I know right. at the very beginning they had him drag he had let him drag her away, um, which obviously started the kickstarted the, the relationship between them and our minds as an audience. But up in, the next time Man in Black saw Dolores, it was at the very end whenever he yeah. saw her at the chapel, and he wasn't expecting to see her there. Yeah. Um, so I don't. Dolores is actually not as integral to the Man in Black storyline as as William uh, portrays it as. Uh, no, now, no, it's like it's almost like the Man in Black we saw in the first season had sort of moved past that. Mm. Whereas now we're, and I'm, I'm I fear as well. Like I've seen the show, obviously, so I'm not going to give too much away. But I feel like the fact that Wyatt slash Dolores is being billed as like this main sort of antagonism antagonist now in the storyline for for William. 
it's sort of making the Dolores aspect the number one thing for the Man in Black again. Whereas, yes, whereas yeah. he sort of moved past that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I and I also think it's important to mention that that the Man in Black never really seems to have done anything out of malice. Uh, he's very like kind of. He's very. Um, he's playing the game. The he's playing the game. I mean, he is playing the game. Yeah, and certainly he does things that are horrific. But he it, there's a, there's an element of spite to how William addresses Dolores in this episode that I've never really got from the Man in Black's character. And obviously, you know, there's thirty five odd years between where it, where William is in this episode and where the Man in Black is uh, later on. So maybe you could make the argument that that the Man in Black has just mellowed, but. I really like the Man in Black as a character. I mm-hmm. think Ed Harris is did a great job with him in the first season. So it's a little bit of a shame to see that character just kind of spinning his wheels while the younger version of him kind of undoes a lot of the good work that Ed Harris has done. Mm. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I, I sort of agree with you there. Um, we'll wait and see what happens in the season, mm. obviously. Um, though we had a special visitor oh. um, in this storyline. Oh, did we? You know, it's a big budget TV show. We knew this man was going to pop up eventually. He always yeah. does. It's yeah. uh, Mr. Giancarlo Esposito, of course. Uh, uh, Gus, Fring. Gus Fring up in yeah. this bitch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all we need is uh, we just needed like Hector Salamanca, ding ding ding, and as well. Yeah. Uh, Did, so I, I feel like Lawrence would immediately be emasculated by this because he's definitely a better El Lazo than Lawrence. And I mean, no disrespect to the man, but you know, if you want, if you want a bad guy. Gus Fring is your man. Giancarlo yeah. Esposito, he, he, he'll get it done. And he's really helped by the fact that, that when they go to find him, uh, they appear to travel onto the set of the 1995 Mortal Kombat movie to do so. Because it's just like braziers full of fire and food everywhere in this small town. I don't know where it is or how Pariah. it's a functional so it's, town. It's where they went to find like, Alazo last time. Oh, um, okay. Is it? It's um. It's Pariah. Okay. It, it, it looks different a little bit but um well, but it's, it's, free, it's free now i love as well like in some shows where whenever someone becomes free it looks way worse to be in uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh but the thing is as well right um about about giancarlo esposito i as soon as his voice hits like his voice is is i think he's an under he's underestimated for having an iconic voice like i think i think, so. I, yeah. I think his voice is really like velvety smooth and harsh yeah. when it needs to be uh, and he's really good at delivering a monologue. Like we get a lovely elephant monologue here, where he's talking about the stuff yeah. in the ground. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I think like yeah. So I, I absolutely agree with you. I think in the first season we had Anthony Hopkins. You can you can spot Anthony Hopkins' voice a mile off. Mm-hmm. Ed Harris to a lesser extent as well. Um, and before I watched this episode of Westworld, I was watching a movie with uh, with Burgess Meredith of I mean Rocky and Clash of the Titans fame mm-hmm. in it. He's got an amazing voice. So that was the level that I was coming into Westworld in with being like, well, you know, this is goddamn Burgess Meredith is, is who I've got in my mind at the moment. And Giancarlo Esposito right up there immediately mm-hmm. recognised the voice. Even, you know, he's talking with the brim of his hat down over his face. He's fooling no one though. We all know who it is <laughs> and we're looking, as soon as you hear his voice, you're like, come on, show me the goods. It's, and, it's a little uh, bit like uh, as iconic as uh, this is going to sound really weird, right? But go with me here. It's almost like as iconic as like Antonio Banderas as Puss in Boots, you know? Like his his voice, his voice. Is as audio listeners, I've just I've just shook my head in disappointedly. Um, I, I I mean, I, what can I say? What can I say? I, I'll, I'll, I'll speak for. Uh, his version of El Lazo here, and that I'm sure if he heard you say that, he would be glad that he died immediately upon <laughs> upon entering the show because it's a such such disrespect warrants a quick death. 
Right, but hang on, Conrad. When he died, he, he was in boots. Right, okay, let's yeah. move on. So, uh, <laughs> um, okay, okay, I got a question for you, Conrad, and it is going to lead into some conversation later on, but it's, it's a new segment we've got. And that is, there's a fair, fair few characters, well, at least two characters, who are discussing the potential of a genocide. And the question is, Conrad, is the genocide justified? Is the genocide justified? Like Timothy Oliphant's 9 to 5 Is the genocide justified? I want to know Like Timothy Oliphant's 9 to 5 Somebody tell me I really want to know Conrad, is it justified? Yes! Um, so Hugh, for, uh, I've, I have pre- I've pre-prepared a statement here. I don't normally do this, but I did it for this because a it'll be funny, hopefully, and b uh, I wouldn't be able to remember if I didn't. So humans, no question, we've had our time, and nature has selected us for elimination, much like the condor via robot uprising. Um, so get rid of humans, all aboard for that. The army men killing hosts in the future. Um, less convinced on that i've seen jurassic park 2 the lost world um and all i'm saying uh, as as pertains to that storyline is that i think those army men are going to get their just desserts um i, I okay. don't think they're going to be successful all right well makes sense uh okay well that's sort of base put it out there but we will talk about it a little bit further like so basically guys we have the army men as conrad says who want to uh kill all the hosts obviously they want to subdue them they want to kill them it's kind of like a genocide now, the fact that we know that they can actually reach consciousness. And then we also mm. have at the end of this episode, um, Dolores referencing the idea that she's going to l- use William's creation or whatever to end yeah. them all. So yes, yeah, so there's like she's... a weapon in the valley beyond or something, <laughs> yeah. which every time someone says that, I think of the land before time. I'm imagining, uh, oh shit, what do they call it? Is it a star leaf? I can't remember what the, the leaf is called that Littlefoot gets. Oh, that's a nightmare. But yeah, I'm, I'm just imagining his mother dying in the land before time and it makes me sad. And I, I don't know how that's a weapon. Maybe it's just going to make everyone really upset. Um, they'll just do like a, 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 a... They've got like... They've got a massive projector and it's going to show the land before time on the sort of wall of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like everyone's They all, they all be... go and sit down and yeah. all the hosts watch land before time on yeah. loop forever. And everyone's going to be so sad that they're just going to die. Uh, they're just going to atrophy where they sit as they watch this movie over and over again. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's not the worst way to go. But No, uh, yeah, there's, be- there's worse ways. Yeah, so... Th- okay, so I think there is a, a trend of genocide happening here. I don't quite like the fact that genocide is being hinted at by seems both sides of this coin you know yes yeah they ve- they are this is okay so this is i i do like dolores's character in this season i like the fact they've made her a bit of a badass mm-hmm. it seems cool but i think they have kind of unknowingly in shifting her into this more antagonistic role they have kind of ripped the emotional heart out of their own tv show because we're not getting a lot of bernard who is the other emotional heart of the show and maeve has fully become uh, kind of this this emotionless uh very driven character who we're not actually seeing that much of and and i i absolutely agree with you that i think in moving Dolores to this kind of antagonistic role, they're kind of pitting two sides against each other, when in reality, the hosts are still very much in the right here. Like, I I don't feel like what they're doing 
I, I, I guess Dolores does kind of want to want to commit genocide, but I'm kind of still I still want to be on their side, and I feel like the show is kind of nudging me to be back in the middle, and and I don't think that's I, I don't think that's reading its audience very well. Well, I think yeah, exactly, and I think with the the choice of, like in terms of talking about consciousness, in terms of talking about select groups of people there are so many comparisons you could make to this to like ethical questions and and moral structures like i'm gonna say one here we don't have to talk too long about it because i think it's such an obvious parallel but like you know systemic racism is is a huge one here like there's there's hosts who have done bad things however Mm. why have they done bad things and you have to look into how it all came about and I think that they are sort of hinting at that a little bit here. And that's maybe why we're naturally on the host side, because we can understand the systemic reason that they have been made to do these yeah. things. You yeah, know I mean, mean, like, I, I think it's... it's. Well, I don't know, I don't want to speak for the whole of the human race, but I feel yeah. like <laughs> any time that there go ahead, is... Go ahead, Conrad. Yeah, all right, yeah, listen, yeah. everyone, everyone shut, shut up, all right? I'm speaking for us. Um, any time that there is a systemic oppression in place... The, anyone who works to maintain the status quo of that oppressive system is inherently in the wrong. And we, and you know, I think most people with any sense of empathy, when confronted with that system, will will say, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's bad. Those people should stop doing that." Um, and 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 the way that the people who tend to maintain those systems, as is the case in Westworld, uh, survive and get to perpetuate those systems is by pointing at people who oppose them and saying, "Yeah, but they're also doing bad stuff." And it's like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. but one of you holds the reins of power, and the other one just doesn't like it." And it, because it's made up of people, occasionally people do bad things. It's not it, it, it's not like mm-hmm. an apples uh, it, it's an apples and oranges comparison, unfortunately. And I think that's mm-hmm. the case here as well, where they're saying like the humans want to kill the hosts and the hosts want to kill the humans, and it's like, well, yes, okay, that is true. Um, and Dolores's methods of going about this are pretty brutal, and I don't really agree with them. But at the same time, Dolores has never been in a position to systematically oppress. I don't even know how many hosts they had. Is it like 500 they said they had or something like that? I, I don't know exactly. The Might exact be man. a few thousand or something. Yeah. But, you know, systematically oppress a, a not not just a group of people, but a nascent form of sentience. And mm-hmm. I feel I feel like that um, has been kind of suppressed in favour of this much more binary conflict that they're building towards, yeah. which is a shame uh, because there's there's a lot of nuance that's being lost between the cracks of this of this kind of broader story that they're telling. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree. And also, but, but it has to be mentioned as well, just before we sort of move off it, that coercion coercion exists in all aspects of society as well. So therefore, even the people who are, you know, benef- like benefiting or contributing to the oppression of people sometimes are being coerced to do so. So, yeah. for example, um, I, w- I don't think we would say that about Lee. Uh, but I think maybe we would say that about maybe some of the some of the lower lower people who need their job. Having said that, no one needs their job as much as I. Uh, I mean, to be honest, we've, yeah, we've seen the lower downs in <laughs> yeah. this organization, and it is rotten from top to yeah, bottom. Rotten far, to the core. Like, yeah. The only person that I would save is Bernard, and maybe the lesser Hemsworth because he seems like an all right guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, right. Just before we end, uh, did you spot Lee Sizemore in this episode? Uh, I thought I did, and then it wasn't him. So there's that brief section where um, where Dolores and Teddy rock up to uh, who, who I'm now going to refer to as the Stormtroopers of Westworld, aka mm-hmm. the Confederados, and uh, they're doing like a kind of Last Supper sequence. And I thought the dude in the middle was Lee Sizemore, but it turned out it that wasn't him. So I don't know where Lee is in, in this episode. Well, okay, so Lee did appear very, very briefly when they, whenever uh, Dolores and Maeve were chatting to each other. They showed him for a split second, so he's still 
still with Maeve. Oh, okay. Um, so last week we had his penis. This week we've got his ass because he was standing with a oh. donkey, Conrad. Uh, absolutely nice. fantastic. I- I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next week. Um, who knows? Who knows what they'll do? They should do. just kill him. They really should just kill him. I don't understand why they're keeping him around. Um, th- there was one. Th- okay, so th- uh, we haven't really got to this naturally, but there's one. There's a rant that I wanted to do, and I and I'm worried. Okay. I don't want to come across as negative about this episode because I did actually enjoy this episode. That I thought the the early Logan William uh, or the early Logan Delos stuff was great. Um, I liked bits of the opening scene. There was good stuff here, but you know the scene where Jim's having his retirement ceremony like or retirement party because he's dying and he's going to disappear forever yeah so that scene takes place after um the events of season one as far as william and logan are concerned yeah oh we tread tread carefully here conrad because that scene has some fantastic little uh granddaughter foot dancing i will say so tread carefully with that scene wait hold i don't remember his his is that the little girl who comes and says dolores looks beautiful uh, potentially, but he, then also Jim goes uh, anything but fucking Chopin, and then, yeah, he, goes that's o- then great. he goes over and starts dancing with the girl, and she's standing on his feet. Oh, I didn't spot that. That would have changed my opinion on this, to be honest. Uh, although, having said that, Jim coming after Chopin knocked him down a couple of uh, points in my book. Because uh, what are you going to fucking listen to? Rachmaninoff? You one of those? Um, uh, the editors know I like Rachmaninoff. Please don't meet come me at the school me. gates. Meet me at the school uh, gates. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do a Debussy versus Chopin fight to see who's the better, the better romantic pianist. Um, no, so my, my my qualm with this scene, it was watching it, uh, so I, I was still at this point slightly confused. I thought, oh, this is all happening prior to the events of episode one, um, the season one, presumably, because Logan's still around. So I was going through this whole whole this whole mental gymnastics in my head where I was like, why why the fuck is like William's character clearly superior to Logan if this is happening <laughs> yeah. prior to those events? Like th- this doesn't make any sense based on what, what we saw of them. And then it dawned on me, oh, maybe this is happening afterwards and Will uh, Logan being implied to be an addict of some kind? Um, mm-hmm. it, we see him injecting drugs into his arm. Um, is as a result of the experience he had at the end of season one. But I, I just don't understand what is going on in this relationship now. Like, why isn't William in prison? Why, why is Logan's dad just like ah? He tried to murder my son, but you know he's also a pretty good businessman. So let's let bygones be bygones. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, Conrad. Unfortunately, these these people very soon soon after owned the park, uh, so therefore they just buried it. And unfortunately, that speaks poorly of Jim. It does because yeah, he, he buried his son being tortured. Basically, <laughs> who, uh, who could have possibly predicted that that Logan would have had a poor father figure? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God, Logan, Jesus Christ! But um, you know. I'm not going to give anything away, but I'm all I'm here for a Logan redemption. Like I'm here. Oh for yeah, a... I can see the arc coming. Come on, Logan. Like <laughs> they've they've done they've done the classic Bret Hart, Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, WrestleMania 13 double turn here, where yeah. <laughs> where like William like Logan's refused to quit. Like he's the Stone Cold Steve Austin in this situation. He's turning face, and Bret Hart's turning heel right before our very eyes. And I'm I'm very much in 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 for the the long haul on Logan's uh, face run. I'm, I hear, I'm here for it. It's just a real shame that they retroactively changed so much because 
if they knew they were going to do this with him, maybe they would have put a character in that could eventually be have been Logan in the future. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or just give in the first season, just give him one single redeeming quality, <laughs> like, yeah. like anything, like have a little girl fall over in the street and have him help her up. Like that's all we needed in that first season, just to be like, you know what? Maybe this Logan's not such a bad guy after all. Rather than having him just have sex with or murder literally everything that he meets in that yeah, first pity, season. Yeah, pity, pity doesn't work if there's literally no redeeming quality yeah. to someone. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's just nothing that I like about him, which is is fine when he's a bad guy, but I, I hope they don't try and redeem him. Hey, Conrad, look who it is. It's only the bloody question of the week. Yeah, the question is, from Christina... Weren't there people who knew Arnold and and found out he died? Um, <laughs> that is a really good point. That is a really good point. <laughs> like, like, uh, 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 like a kind of company soiree. Like a shareholder is like, didn't he get shot in the head? And then, <laughs> like, no, no, this is this is Bernard. Oh, right. Yeah. Or, or yeah. Or they're literally talking to Bernard, and they're just like, so, how did you? Survive. <laughs> it's easy. Just change my name to Bernard. And everything and was fine. Bernard's just standing there with like champagne in his hand. Like, doesn't look like anything to me. It's, yeah. it's like, all right, okay, fine. Moving on then. Absolutely. Yeah, that is absolutely a great point, Christina. That is probably the biggest hole that could be blown in this whole show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, I mean, that is a, a. I mean, I guess you could. I, I suppose you if you're being really charitable, you could say maybe Ford kept him away from social functions. But um. Or you, know, yeah. or you could even say, like, to be really charitable, Ford fired everyone slowly up until the ten years later when he made Bernard. You know what I mean? Oh, he did, like, a Dread Pirate Roberts in Princess Bride kind of situation where, like, he fires everyone, brings on a new crew, and then refers to him as, as Bernard until everyone <laughs> uh, everyone accepts him as the new Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah, 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 yeah. that works. Yeah. But still has pictures of Arnold around. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's important. <laughs> yeah. And also keeps his... his uh, now widow on retainer to like make phone calls to the, the what the, the fuck the, is that about the ghost of her husband but also in the first season as well I'm like don't get me wrong okay fine I'm happy with Arnold to have the ch- the son Charlie but in the first season it never actually fully mentioned did it that 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 Arnold had a son called Charlie it just ever always mentioned it as Bernard's cornerstone yeah. maybe I'm wrong blink me if I am guys but I I honestly don't think in the first season it actually explicitly said that Charlie was also but Arnold's child. No, I don't... Yeah, I'm trying to think now. I, don't, I mean, it, you can kind of imply it through... Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it makes, it makes sense, but I just don't remember it actually being explicitly stated. Yeah, but I, I think you're probably right. I can't think of any explicit mentions of Arnold having a son called Charlie either. Thanks very much for watching, guys, and we'll be in episode three next week. Uh, and I can't wait for it to be honest with you Um, and we're going to look forward to that support the podcast in the description and like the video, subscribe, all that sort of stuff thank you very much and goodbye goodbye thank you for listening the After Dark Podcast has been a Culture Cave production please subscribe on audio apps as well as on YouTube at the Culture Cave join us next week as Conrad journeys further into the unknown